This morning, we continue our series on the life of Daniel, and uh, let's begin with prayer, shall we? Lord, it is so good to come into your presence with brothers and sisters, and, and we come wanting to know you more deeply. We want to follow you more nearly. Uh, so, Lord, we just pray that you would speak to us t- today, that you would open up the words on the pages of Scripture, and uh, that you might speak in an in a, in a illuminating and, and fresh way, that we might live unto your glory. Thank you, Lord, for gracing us with your presence as always here. Speak, your servants are listening. Amen. Uh, back in the 6th century, uh, the Babylonians, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, came down south and uh, they besieged the city of Jerusalem and ended up taking many of the leading citizens of Jerusalem into exile. And uh, among those who were in exile uh, was Daniel and uh, his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it goes without saying that King Nebuchadnezzar had a huge ego. He essentially worshipped himself. And though he gave lip service to uh, the God of Daniel and uh, was awed by some of the miracles this God had performed, even singing this God's praises from time to time, nevertheless, he believed that he himself was the sovereign Lord of all, master of the greatest kingdom in all the earth. And in Babylon was indeed a great kingdom, and Nebuchadnezzar was a powerful man. He was not only a successful military leader, but he was a great builder, so he, he rebuilt Babylon, restored uh, its walls, built palaces, temples, its defenses. And as I mentioned before, I think I, he's believed to have been responsible for building the famously beautiful Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which was one of the seven great wonders of the ancient world. So his kingdom was strong and vast, and Nebuchadnezzar had no trouble taking credit for its success. But God, that is the real God, was after Nebuchadnezzar's heart. God had been pursuing him for a long time, but his overgrown ego needed to be cut down to size. And so it all began with Nebuchadnezzar's dream his troublesome dream that he had one night. And we will let the king tell the story in his own words. So reading from Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Now, actually, this is part of the lip service that Nebuchadnezzar was paying to the God of Daniel. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. 
Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. This Daniel is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Daniel, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree, trim off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by, by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict. So the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth, and give them to anyone he wishes, and sets over them the lowliest of people." This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Well, Daniel is uh, rather loath to... uh, tell the king the meaning of this dream because it wasn't exactly favorable. And the king picked up on Daniel's hesitation, and the king said, come on, give it to me straight. What does it mean? And then Daniel answered, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High, has issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. 
Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone He wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, Your Majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. Well, it's no wonder that the king did not immediately cut Daniel into pieces. That was Nebuchadnezzar's habit, you know, for all the people that crossed him. He would cut them into little pieces. He was that kind of a guy. But see, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was in jeopardy. He was about to lose it all. And what he needed to do more than anything was to repent, turning away from his self-centered ways to worship the real God and ruler of all, the God who had the whole world and all the kingdoms in his hand, including Nebuchadnezzar's own kingdom of Babylon. So, did Nebuchadnezzar repent? Did he turn from his kingdom of me, myself, and I and acknowledge the rule of heaven? We read, Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Not only was Nebuchadnezzar incredibly arrogant, he was profoundly stupid. (laughs) Because here he was, in spite of this dream, congratulating himself on the wonder of the kingdom that he himself had created. Because, you see, life was all about him. It was all about his power and glory, and he would continue to worship at the shrine of his own ego. But not for very long, for he was cut down to size right then and there. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and give them to anyone He wishes. And immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. And there's a photo of the guy right there. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar went literally insane. He wandered about on all fours, living, behaving like the beast of the field, chewing his cud. There's actually a technical name for this kind of mental illness where people think of themselves as animals and imitate their behavior. It's generally called 
Insania zoanthropica. <laughs> so, hey, if you're ever on Jeopardy, you know, <laughs> you'll know the answer, or the, you'll know the question. And in more specifically in Nebuchadnezzar's case, he suffered from boanthropy, the delusion that one is an ox. Now, this is one sorry state. Unwilling to humble himself, God humbled him. God made him eat humble pie. He lived like an animal for seven years. But the story has a happy ending. Just like the Hallmark Channel, <laughs> story's got a happy ending. He learned his lesson. And so we read, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right. And all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar had to be humbled so that he could come to know the real ruler of this world. His haughtiness and his arrogance needed to be checked so that he could see beyond the kingdom of me, myself, and I. Nebuchadnezzar had finally come to understand that his kingdom wasn't really his kingdom at all, that indeed his kingdom was one of many kingdoms, and ultimately, it's all about God's kingdom. If he was blessed, he realized, it was because God chose to bless him. In the end, he understood that life wasn't all about him, but it was about God and following God's ways and ruling justly. God was after Nebuchadnezzar's heart, and God had to make this arrogant man eat humble pie so that his eyes would be open to the greater reality of God's rule and God's love. He had to eat humble pie. This is kind of an aside, but I kind of wondered about the origin of eating humble pie. In the 14th century in England, the, num the numbles, numbles, were the name given to the heart, liver, entrails of animals, especially of deer. The language changed over time, and numbles became umbles. And umbles were used as an ingredient in pies at that time, hence umble pie. 
The adjective, humble, meaning of lowly rank or having a low estimate of oneself, derived separately from umbles. But the similarity of the words and the fact that humble pie was often eaten by those of humble situation could be the reason why we have that phrase today, eating humble pie. Anyway, just for your own information, I just thought. So, Nebuchadnezzar ate humble pie. The proud man was brought low, and Nebuchadnezzar appears to have become a true believer, praising, exalting, glorifying the King of Heaven. He received his kingdom back, and he experienced God's favor. Now, here's the rub for you and for me, because there's a little bit of King Nebuchadnezzar in each one of us, because the very essence of sin is self-centeredness, selfish pride, putting ourselves at the center of the universe. And none of us is immune from this sin. If you think you're immune from that sin, then you are indeed a very proud person. Like Nebuchadnezzar, the temptation is to congratulate ourselves for the kingdom that we have built for ourselves and for the accomplishments we have wrought through our native intelligence and our good looks and our hard work. But who gave us our intelligence who gave us the capacity to work in the first place? And what do we have that we have not first received from God? Nothing, so that no one can boast. God wants to be first in our lives because it's only when God is first that we live rightly and truly. God would be our king. So the question is, who's wearing the crown in our life, your life and mine? Is it God? Or is it our own ego? You remember what ego stands for, don't you? E-G-O. Edging God out, E-G-O. So that God actually refuses to be banished to the periphery of our lives, but He wants to reside in the throne room and not in the back room. So you and I really need to heed the words of Daniel to King Nebuchadnezzar. Repent. Turn around. We can turn away from our selfish pride and humble ourselves before the throne of grace. With the help of the Spirit of God, you and I can purposely and intentionally take the focus off of ourselves and put it where it belongs, on God and God's kingdom. Remember, seek God and His kingdom first. And then all these other things will be added to you as well. We turn our attention away from ourselves unto God in worship and in prayer and in the, the, the daily acknowledgement that God is Lord of our life. We can humble ourselves by focusing on God's holiness and purity, realizing how wonderful God is and how short weak we are in comparison. We can humble ourselves by remembering what it cost God to pay for our sins, the life of His own Son who humbled Himself, who came not to be served but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. We can humble ourselves or it may be that in order to win our hearts, God will somehow have to cause you and me to eat some humble pie. As Nebuchadnezzar found out, those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. 
So perhaps God will allow the circumstances of life to throw us off our high horse and lay us low. Perhaps God will use our failures and our, our, our reversals and loss to cut us down to size, bringing us back to sanity and to a more of a proper, healthy perspective on life. Perhaps this is how the Lord disciplines us. Life has a way of throwing us a curve, reminding us that you and I are not always in control, that you and I are not the king and queen of the universe. And in such times, we would do well to allow ourselves to be drawn into the arms of the one who is the true king, even our Lord Jesus Christ. Selfish pride is a, is a serious spiritual problem. Uh, it's the first of the seven deadly sins. You know, selfish pride is the root of all the others. It's pride that shuts God out of life. It says to God, stay away. I don't need you. I'm building my own kingdom. And my kingdom is wonderful. My kingdom is eternal and it lasts forever. God has a hard time with that attitude, which is no wonder why First Peter says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God is pursuing you and me just as God was pursuing Nebuchadnezzar. He wants the ultimate allegiance of our hearts. He wants to be God in truth and not just in theory. He wants to be crowned king of our lives, but there can only be one king. If our own ego is king, then probably the wisest thing for you and for me to do is to abdicate and let God rule. This life is not all about us. It's all about Him. To Him be the kingdom and the power and the glory. Let us pray. Lord, we acknowledge our own self-centeredness. We're all so busy, it seems, building and securing our own kingdoms. Lord, we take pride in the thinking that we're in control when we know that we're not. Lord, we need You in our lives. And so, uh, Lord, sit on the throne. Rule over us, and Your rule is a benevolent rule. You want nothing more than to bless us. Lord, bless us that we might be a blessing to others. Humble us if necessary, even though it may be painful, but humble us so that we may be free to serve You and to glorify You in all things. Amen.